Good morning, everyone. It is excellent to be here this morning to bring the word to you. As Doug mentioned, if you do not know me, I'm the children and family pastor here. Uh, Mike is celebrating his wedding anniversary and is gone, and so here I am. Um, And uh, I hope that it will be a time of worship. Um, we are in 1 Thessalonians today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pastor Mike has been preaching through a series in Matthew. He's been preaching through the entire book of Matthew, and since he got to Matthew 24, he's been doing sort of a series that he's called Living in the Last Days. And while I won't be in the book of Matthew, I will be continuing on in that series talking about end times. Eschatology is sort of the official theological word for that, and so this will have something to do with that. Specifically, we're going to be talking this morning about the day of the Lord. What is it and why does it matter? But first, let's read our passage. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 7. I'm sorry, 1 through 11. If you would, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Word of God reads, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray that you would illuminate it to us this morning, that you would guide us by your Spirit, Father, and ultimately that you would make us more like Christ for understanding it. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. may be seated. Everyone has a different sort of experience with the study of end times. We've been studying this for a little while here. Uh, Pastor Mike, as I said, has been going through this series starting in Matthew 24. We just had a Grace Bible Institute uh, about two weeks ago on Sunday night talking about sort of the four major views of end times. And I've talked to any number of people during this whole study And everyone sort of has a different opinion about what they think about end times. And a lot of people don't really care for the subject all that much. You might feel that way. Maybe 
There was some point in your past where you talked to someone who was overly zealous or argumentative about their particular end times view. They wouldn't stop talking about it. They wouldn't leave you alone. You had to agree with them and you just were tired of the whole thing. Maybe you were that very person not too long ago and are a recovering addict. But lots of people feel more than anything else that it's not all that applicable to their life. Study of end times is just some theological study. That doesn't have much to do with me. I have a, a, a bit of a different interaction with studying end times. I think, if I remember right, I, I think the book of Revelation was the very first book of the Bible that I read start to finish all the way through of my own volition just because I decided to. Because I'll tell you, little Brian liked books, and he knew a book that was cool. And is there, is there a cooler book than the book of Revelation? I think I was in sixth grade. Dragons, demon kings, cities coming down from the sky, beasts coming out of the water, Jesus with fire in his eyes and burning feet. The whole thing was kind of cool. And then you describe a cherubim. You know, what, what even is that? Foreheads, eyes everywhere. I knew what was cool, and Revelation was it. When I was in high school, Left Behind came out, which I know many of you have probably read. Fairly famous fictional uh, account of um, sort of an end times story. And that was just another thing that made, however true it may or may not have been, however accurate uh, the book was, I just enjoyed it. It was maybe one of the first series that I ever read as it was coming out, and it was, it was fun. And so my, my background with end times, I just, I just liked it. I thought, I, I thought that it was neat. And what's interesting about the study of end times is that for, for as confusing as it is, I think the reason that it's confusing is interesting. It's not confusing because we have so little information about it and we're trying to piece together how, the, uh, we're kind of trying to piece together an end times theology. The problem is we have so much information. There is so much in the Bible about end times that it, that it becomes it's the biggest jigsaw puzzle ever. And it's a matter of trying to fit it all together that makes it confusing and difficult. But what's interesting is even I, someone who admittedly finds end times fascinating, even I struggle with that same thought of how, how applicable is this? How much does it actually have to do with my real life? And what's interesting about the passage we have today, 1 Thessalonians 5, is it answers that question. 1 Thessalonians 5, like a few other passages, 2 Peter 3 and Titus 2, talk about sort of an end times theology. And the whole point is that knowing God's plan for the future of the world, the universe, mankind, knowing that should in fact, must have an effect on your life today. That's what our passage is going 
to reveal to us. That, that knowing about the day of the Lord is supposed to affect us now in a very real and very tangible way. And so I hope at the end of this, by continuing to study the day of the Lord and living in the last days, that you will in fact live differently. The passage divides pretty neatly in half, and we're going to get two descriptions. That's all that we're talking about this morning. Two descriptions that should characterize every believer. And the point is that we would live rightly before God, waiting for the coming day of the Lord. And so the first half of our passage, we're going to have a description of what believers are like. My first point, a description of what believers are like. And verse 1 starts us out, the first thing is that believers should be like is that we are aware rather than ignorant. Verse 1, now concerning the time and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. He says, I'm going to write you something that you don't need to actually have written to you. I'm writing it. Don't need to be writing it. Why? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul is telling them, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. Something you're already familiar with. I had a seminary professor who had a tendency to shout suddenly while he was teaching. And he would often shout in the middle of his lesson, repetition is the key to learning. And then he would ask us, repetition is what? And we would say the key to learning. What is the key to learning? Repetition. And then he would go on repeating himself. And that's how it went. And maybe some of you have felt like that on Sunday morning. Have you ever noticed this? Sunday morning, most of the time, you're not learning some brand new shiny truth that I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Most of the time, you're being reminded of something that you already know. Something that you should already remember that needs to be brought to the front of your mind. Repetition is the key to learning. And there's a need to repeat things that are most important. I think all of us have had the experience, have at some point in our lives responded to our parents with some variation of the line, I know, Dad. You know what it's like to be told what you already know. Yet it's important, and that's what Paul is trying to do here. And what he tells them is that you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That phrase, thief in the night, it's interesting. It's never, it's never used in any passages that are meant to refer um, or that, 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 uh, that would refer to a rapture. A lot of times we think about that, thief in the night, it's a rapture passage, right? This is talking about the day of the Lord, which is a different thing, which is a different thing. And so the obvious question is, what is the day of the Lord? I'll have to admit that that's what first attracted me to this Passage. I wanted to know what the day of the Lord was. And there are a number of Old Testament passages that explain exactly what the day of the Lord is. They were supposed to know about the coming of the day, but what was the day? Let me just read you a couple of Old Testament passages. There are two aspects of the day of the Lord that are important, that explain what it is. The first aspect of the day of the Lord is that it is a day of judgment for God's enemies. It's a day where God will pour out his wrath 
on evil and where evil will be defeated finally. Let me just read you a passage from Isaiah 13. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. It's a scary day. Cruel with wrath and fierce anger. Some of those descriptions are very similar to what Jesus used to describe the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, which Mike just preached on a few weeks ago. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Are you getting the feel of this day? It's not good. The passage that always comes to mind first for me in relation to the day of the Lord is Malachi 4, which is the very last chapter of the, New Test- or the Old Testament. Listen to this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day, the day that is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But listen to this. This is going to introduce the second aspect of the day of the Lord. In this Malachi passage, Malachi 4, 1 and 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Let me read one more verse. Sevaniah chapter 3 Verse 14 and 15, this is all in relation to the day of the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The day of the Lord is a day of outpoured wrath for the enemies of God, for those who commit evil. But it is a day of blessing and rejoicing for the people of God, for those people who love God. And that's interesting that that could happen at the exact same time. It's particularly interesting that Zephaniah passage, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. It's not that they did not deserve judgment God's people who would avoid the wrath. They did deserve judgment, but that judgment was taken away from them. And so those are the dual aspects of the day of the Lord. It's coming to judge enemies. It's coming to bless those who love God. And his message to them, what he's telling them they already know, is that the timing of it. He's saying, I don't need to write to you concerning times and seasons. You're fully aware of the nature in which the day of the Lord will come. And that is like a thief in the night. 
going to come quietly. It's going to be sneaky. There's no way to prepare for it. In fact, in verse 3 it says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Peace and security, that was a phrase used in sort of the, the Roman propaganda system. They, they printed it on coins and would plaster it on walls. Peace and security. Inner peace with inside of you and outward security around you. And there will be people that are convinced that they have peace with God, peace with themselves, peace with the world around them. And suddenly... Suddenly the day of the Lord will come. It's interesting that it is compared with labor pains. I have never had labor pains myself, but I know someone who has. And this is a particularly interesting example because there are are certain signs that that make it obvious that labor is going to happen soon. You have a due date. So you have a general idea of when the baby's supposed to come. I mean, there's a big baby about right here. That's usually an obvious sign that you're going to go into labor at some point. Well, my wife would tell me, we have two children. She would tell me that she had contractions in the weeks, sometimes months, leading up to, leading up to labor. Her friends would tell her when the day got close, oh, the baby has dropped. I never noticed, but apparently that happens. But there are signs leading up to it. And yet, everyone who's had a baby has had the experience of knowing that it's about to happen, but when in the world is this going to happen? Your whole life is on hold. You're just kind of wandering around. Everyone's asking you, when's that baby due? And you're like, I I don't know, yesterday. It'll come soon, I hope. There's every sign and indication that it's coming, and yet you have no idea when it's actually going to come. When it comes, it comes quickly. You better have your bags packed. You better be prepared. You better be prepared. And that's what the day of the Lord is like. They know that it's coming. They're aware of the timing, the times and seasons. They don't even need it to be written to them, though Paul is writing it to them. And yet what they know is that they don't actually know. You just know vaguely that it's coming one day. And there will be great wrath and great rejoicing simultaneously. These are all descriptions of what believers are like. Believers are aware rather than ignorant. They know about the day of the Lord. They're also told in verse 4, another description of what believers are like. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. There's two more descriptions for what believers are like. They're like children of light. They're children of the day, not of night. This has been revealed to them. It's been illuminated to them. They're not in darkness. There's no need to not know. 
they shouldn't be surprised by the day like a thief. The thief coming now is suddenly like a thief that comes during the day rather than the night. Rather difficult to break into someone's house and surprise them during the day. Everyone's up. Everyone can see well. Just imagine someone outside looking at them. Excuse me, sir, why, why are you on my balcony? Is that my Blu-ray player? You put it back. You can't surprise someone during the day. And that's the idea. You know it's been shown to you that the day of the Lord is coming. These are the descriptions of every believer. And the transition Paul's going to make now in verse 6, he's going to move from a description of what believers are like to to a description of what believers should do. And that is why I love this passage. As a believer, you know something about the day of the Lord. You know God's plan for history. And because you do, you cannot and must not continue living like those who are of the darkness, who are in night and ignorance. You, you must, you must live differently than them. This has to affect you. How is the question? Paul gives a number of answers here. He gives a description of what believers should do. And uh, before we even get into that, it's always helpful to note at this point, anytime you talk about what believers should do, this passage illustrates it very well, what you should do in the Christian life always, always comes out of who you are in Christ. We can list these things to do, and we're going to have some of them, keep awake, be sober, put on faith, hope, and love, all these things. And I don't want you to get the impression that you should just go out and do them and that will somehow be pleasing to God. The key is to first be a child of light, a child of the day. We're going to come back to that thought. Let's talk about what we should do. Verses 6, 7, and 8. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. This is all just a repetition of thought. This passage is very simple and straightforward. He just said, you're of the day, you're of the light, you're not of darkness, you're not of night. Sleepiness and drunkenness are things that happen at night. So don't do those. What should you do then? Keep awake and be sober. Those are the first two descriptions of what believers should do. Keep awake and be sober. The idea of wakefulness is that of watchfulness, vigilance, readiness, Someone who's awake is aware of his surroundings, is aware of what's going on in the world, and can't be snuck up on. I don't know if you've ever played a practical joke on someone who is sleeping. I have attempted the classic shaving cream in the hand, feather on the nose. It didn't work very well. I maybe lacked some subtlety. 
But I promise I would never even attempt that on someone who was awake. It just wouldn't work. Imagine if I went up to you with a can of shaving cream and started waving a uh, feather in your face. Wouldn't get very far. You certainly wouldn't smear it all over your nose. And that's what he's saying. You cannot be, you cannot be snuck up on. You cannot be suddenly surprised. Keep awake and keep alert and be sober. This word has to do with drunkenness, obviously, but that's not really its primary meaning here. The idea of sobriety here is is more of self-control. Be alert, be vigilant, and be self-controlled. Don't give in to every desire that you have. Look at your desires and think about whether or not they are desires that honor God, whether you want things that would bring glory to Jesus Christ. And avoid indulging in sinful desires. Be self-controlled, is what he's saying. It's a description of what believers should do. Starting in verse 8, we get another description, putting on faith, hope, and love. This is all in the context of armor, putting on a breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is a reference to Isaiah 49, where Isaiah uses this exact same terminology of things that we should put on. And they're important. The last thing he lists in verse 11 of what believers should do is encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you are doing, he says. You are already encouraging each other. You already build one another up. Keep doing that. And any number of these things would be excellent to spend more time talking about. The need for vigilance, the need for self-control. More faith, more hope, more love. Be an encouragement. I, are you an encouragement? Are people encouraged because of you? Or do you complain and wear people out? There's got to be areas in your life where you need more self-control. Where you indulge in sinful desires. You shouldn't do that because you are children of light, children of the day. You've been empowered by God's Spirit to avoid those things. But what I want to focus on is verses 9 and 10. Because we started out with a description of what believers are like, then we moved to a description of what believers should do. But 9 and 10, we're actually kind of going backwards here. Paul just sort of snuck in another example of what believers are like. This describes every believer. And like the other ways that believers are like, this should also inspire certain actions in us, a certain way of living. Listen to these verses. These are verses worth memorizing. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 
the final description of what believers are like. We are destined to obtain salvation rather than wrath. And that is wonderful news in light of the day of the Lord. Is it not? There is a day of wrath coming. A day of wrath, as Malachi describes, that is, that is burning like an oven. Arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. And it is not coming in any kind of general sense, far off in the distance, just sort of mindless, unfeeling wrath. This is a day of wrath that is coming for people you know. This is a day of wrath coming for friends and co-workers and family members. This is a day of wrath coming for everyone who has not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a day of wrath that could very well be coming for you. Burning after you. But every believer, every believer has been spared from that wrath. This is universal. Every, you know, every believer needs to live a certain way and some people are and some people might not be in every shade of gray in between. But every believer is a child of light. Every believer is aware rather than ignorant. And every believer has not been destined for wrath but has instead been destined to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And so the question is how? How can I avoid this wrath? How can I become a believer who can be one of the people rejoicing in God's triumph over evil on the day of the Lord rather than the one who is getting wrath poured out on his head? And the text answers that in verse 10. We've obtained salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us. The answer to be saved is not to do these things that we've talked about. Keep awake, be sober, encourage one another. That, those are good things. It's fantastic things. But it is not ultimately what will keep you from wrath. It's faith. It's trust in Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died for the world in such a way that anyone who believes in him will be saved from wrath, will rejoice with God, and who has no fear of justice. knowing that they are justified in the eyes of God. This, this is great news. Every description of the day of the Lord, every description of God's wrath, every description of the suffering of hell, they're frightening. God's wrath is frightening in its awesomeness and its justice. 
but we have been destined for salvation through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question I want to ask more than any of the others, and any of them would be good. We could focus on, on anything in these verses. There's so much good stuff. What it means to be of light. We could talk more about self-control or encouragement, vigilant watchfulness. But I just fell in love with these verses. I wanted to find out about the day of the Lord. And more than anything else, I, I fell in love with verses 9 and 10. A rediscovery but just another explanation of what salvation is, that we can avoid wrath. So the question I want to ask, if that's what we are like, we are people who have avoided the wrath of God, how should we live? And I think the answer is obvious. How can we not tell others how they can avoid the wrath of God as well? How can we not spend our lives proclaiming to others that they on that day can rejoice with God and be friends with Christ rather than have wrath poured out on them? How can we not tell others that there is a day coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble? How can we not spend more of our lives? We should be willing to alter our lives in any way to be able to get this message out to those people we know who need to hear it. One of my favorite books is Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. I would... uh, I would highly recommend that book um, for anyone to read. And I just had the, I just reread it um, recently in the, last, in the last couple of weeks. And I was struck by a story. I, I, I forgot the story was in here. I forgot how much I liked this story. Um, John Piper is talking about how to live a life that is not wasted. And he talks about having, believing in and acting on, behalf, on the behalf of a cause that is bigger than you, that is more important than you. And he tells this story from the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. And I love both the story as well as his comments after it. And so let me just, let me just read it. He starts by saying, the closer I look at the individual soldiers in this World War II history, the more I felt a passion that my life would count and that I would be able to die well. As rainy morning wore into afternoon and the fighting bogged down, the Marines continued to take casualties. Often it was the medics themselves who died as they tried to preserve life. William Hoops of Chattanooga was crouching beside a medic named Kelly who put his head above a protective ridge and placed binoculars to his eyes just for an instant to spot a sniper who was peppering his area. In that instant, the sniper shot him through the Adam's apple. 
hoops. A pharmacist's mate himself struggled frantically to save his friend. I took my forceps and reached into his neck to grasp the artery and pinch it off, Hoops recalled. His blood was spurting. He had no speech, but his eyes were on me. He knew I was trying to save his life. I tried everything in the world. I couldn't do it. I tried. The blood was so slippery, I couldn't get the artery. I was trying so hard. And all the while, he just looked at me. He looked directly into my face. The last thing he did as the blood spurts became less and less was to pat me on the arm as if to say, it's all right. Then he died. Listen to what Piper says after this. In this heartbreaking moment, I want to be Hoops and I want to be Kelly. I want to be able to say to suffering and perishing people, I tried everything in the world. I was trying so hard. And I want to be able to say to those around me when I die, it's all right to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want to live a life like that too. A life that is a life where I can honestly say, I tried everything in the world. I knew that wrath was coming. I knew there was a day coming. And I knew some people would rejoice at that time and some people would be punished at that time. And I did everything in the world to get the message of salvation to those who needed it. People I knew, people I don't know. I was willing to talk to people in my own neighborhood. I was willing to go to the farthest ends of the earth. I did everything that I could. And I want one day to die knowing to live was Christ, but to die is gain. That is a life worth living. This day is coming. You're aware. You know. And it should affect what you are doing with your life. You cannot, you must not continue on as everyone else. We can obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bring that message to others. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed to us not just that there is coming wrath, God, but that there is a way to avoid it in Jesus Christ. Let that motivate our living. Let that change what we do with our time, Father, and use our church as a great instrument to bring the gospel to people who need it. God, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.